0: Alright, well this morning I want to minister to you guys on the Holy Spirit. Because I think, in, and especially in, in our culture today, the Holy Spirit is entirely misunderstood. Who He is, what His purpose is. And uh, the focus that I want to I focus on today is one, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's actually, He's the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think that we have, sometimes we have it in our heads that the Holy Spirit is actually a force. You know, he's, a, he's not a person, but he's a force or maybe some sort of tool used by God. And we kind of, as Christians, especially in today, we kind of gloss, gloss over the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows who God is. You know that God's a person, that he can speak to you and interact with you. And everybody knows who Jesus is, whether they believe he is, who he says he is or not. Everybody knows about Jesus. Very few people have not heard that name. And they recognize he's a person. Matter of fact, um, as far as Jesus is concerned, many people believe he was only a person, that he actually was not God. But the Holy Spirit, if, if, uh, for most of us in America, most Christians, I think that if, if somebody asked who is the Holy Spirit, we'd probably have a hard time defining to somebody who the Holy Spirit is and what is his purpose, what does he do in our lives. So this morning, I kind of want to spend some time looking at the Holy Spirit, who he is recognizing that he is a person, that he's a third person of the Trinity, and he's a he's a person the same as Jesus and God. I want to, you know, make it clear that he's not just some mystical force, some magical power that God uses to influence the world. <clears throat> I also want to spend some time, and we're gonna spend quite a bit of time, demonstrating that the Holy Spirit is also God as well. That's why he's he's part of the Godhead. He is he is uh, one God. He's one of the persons of God, so uh, the way the Godhead works is there's one God, but three, three individual persons, three individual personalities. There's God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and, and uh, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is a person as well. And just like God, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. And just like God is omniscient, which means he's, he's all-knowing, and just like God, he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. And finally, just like God, he's, he's eternal. And then next, I want to spend some time looking at what is his purpose? You know, the uh, we'll, we'll look today and see that Jesus said that I'm going to send a helper. And he sends the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascends into heaven. And we're going to look at what the, the, the plan and purpose of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And also his plan in salvation. Because God... There's, there's three parts of salvation. The reason why we baptize in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is there's three parts of salvation. It was God the Father who crafted the plan of salvation. And then we see it was Jesus who physically came down and executed that plan. He came down and died for our sins. But it's the Holy Spirit who administers or executes that plan in our lives who makes it a reality in our lives. So let's go ahead and get into that this morning. First thing we want to to make clear is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some force. He's not some tool. And uh, the questions that we have to ask ourselves is how do we define a person? How do we know someone's a person? Or let's look at even more specifically: how do we know that God is a person? Or how do we know that Jesus is a person and not some some uh, spirit or force or or cosmic goo or whatever we want to look at it? How do we know that God's a person? or Jesus is a person. Well, the first thing that we recognize about people is that they have attributes that are that are are unique to people. First off, a person can speak. A person will talk to you, right? I mean, we can we know a chair is not a person because the chair is not going to get up and give you advice for the day. Um a, if it's a person, they have intelligence. If it's a person, they have a will of their own. People have wills of their own, right? I mean, you look at even stuff that we would consider to be smart, I mean, we call our, our phones smartphones. But they're not really intelligent. They're just programmed to do what we've told them to do. They don't have a will of their own. They can't do what they want. At least not till Terminator, and Judgment Day. When they when they have awareness. But you know the the truth is is that but they're still just tools. They're not. In, they're not. We would never consider our phone a person, even though Siri can talk to you. Mm-hmm. Still, you have to have all these attributes to be a person. Um, what else do they have? Uh, 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 they have knowledge and intelligence, like I said. And, and uh, uh, people have feelings too, right? You know, a person. I mean, you you can't hurt the feelings of a hammer. You can't hurt your computer's feelings. Monique hurt mine. My uh, ceramic knife feelings, but that's different. <laughs> they couldn't cut through tomatoes, so she was making fun of it. But, you know, tools can't have their feelings hurt. These, but a person, a person has feelings. So let's look at some scriptures that talk about this. In 1 Corinthians 12.11, it says, But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. But first off, you'll notice many times in the Bible that the, that the Holy Spirit is mentioned as a he. You know, the Holy Spirit here is just as he wills. You, you never see it say, just as it wills. And I've done some research in the, in the way that the, the Greek and the grammars use, and, and there can be some argument that, it's not, that, that the word he there. It can be argued that maybe they're not specifically referring to a person when they say he, which is why we're going to look at these other aspects, what makes a person the different attributes. But in light of all the attributes we're going to look at, I think we can safely say when they refer to the Spirit as a he, they're talking that the Spirit of God is a person. That's it's the third person of the Godhead. And then we also find that he has a will. He has the ability to make his own decisions. In this particular case, these, these uh, scriptures, as we read before them in 1 Corinthians 12, are referring to the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, which is uh, this Holy Spirit working in us to give us power and to do different things. And we've looked at some of them before, but these gifts of the Spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit distributes them as he wills. He has the ability to make a decision. It's not some some tool used by God where God makes it the God the Father makes a decision and and uses this tool of the Holy Spirit to impart these gifts, but it's the the, the Spirit himself has a will to make and to make these choices and to distribute these gifts as He wills. So that's just one of the attributes of a person is, is your own will, and we find that the Holy Spirit has that. In 1 Corinthians two, ten through eleven it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Here we see that the, the Spirit of God has intelligence. It says He searches all things, Another way to, to think about it in your head is he researches all things with intelligence. He knows all, he learns and knows all these things. And we find that he even understands the thoughts of God, which I can tell you right now, the most intelligent man on the planet does not understand the thoughts of God. Matter of fact, I begin to see that many of the most intelligent men on the planet seem to just ignore God altogether. They think they've got it all figured out on their own because they're so smart. Stephen Hawking is a brilliant astrophysicist, but does not believe in God. And I'm like, man, I, I don't understand. There's so much evidence otherwise. He definitely does not understand the thoughts of God. But the Holy Spirit has the intelligence to know those things. And like I said earlier, even the most advanced tools that we have can only parse data. Like I said, our smartphones and our computers, we can get. Matter of fact, most of us have stopped remembering things because we have so much at our fingertips that we can look up anything we need to look up. And I I wholly subscribe to that idea. Einstein once said, why remember anything you can look up? And the only thing that I would disagree with that theory is in the Word of God. I think we need to be memorizing and learning that so it's at our disposal whenever we need it. But the truth is, we live in a society where we have all these smart devices. You know, they're even making smart stoves and smart refrigerators. A refrigerator that will tell you when you're out of milk and it will order it for you. But the truth is, these are all just tools used by man. We've programmed them. It's our intelligence that's been instilled into them, and they can only parse data. They can't make decisions, but except for the way that we program them to be made. The Holy Spirit is, is not like that. The Holy Spirit is a person with intelligence and able to know the thoughts of God, and, and the Bible says he searches all things. Next, we'll look at Ephesians 4.30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has feelings, which is always attributed to a person. I don't think there's anything in this life that if you don't have, that is not a person. There's no tool, no inanimate object that that we could say has feelings. But the truth is that the Holy Spirit has feelings, and we can grieve Him. And basically we grieve the Holy Spirit by, by not living in the freedom that's been given to us by Jesus Christ. When we begin to live outside of what God has planned for us, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But just the fact that he can be grieved is more evidence that he's a person and not just some force. And all throughout the scriptures, there's even, there's different references to that, how he's, he has these. He's, he has feelings. He speaks many times. You see, the the Holy Spirit speaks. He makes decisions. All these attributes of a person the Holy Spirit has. So I hope at least now we can see that there's no argument that the Holy Spirit is not some force, not some magical power or tool used by God, but He actually is a person. Next, I want to look at the fact that the Holy Spirit is not only just a person, but He is God, just as much as Jesus is God and God the Father is God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. What we're going to look at here this right now is, is that the Holy Spirit is equated with God many times throughout the Scriptures. We see Him used in the same way. And the truth is the Trinity is kind of a difficult thing to understand. I mean, how can it be one God and three persons? And I'm going to use a, a really bad analogy because it definitely doesn't do it justice to explain kind of how it works. But if we look at an egg, and an egg has a shell, it has a yolk, and it has the whites. And all three of these parts make up an egg. And without any of those parts, we don't have the full egg. And the, the Trinity is kind of like that. It's one God with three individual personalities, individual parts. And without one, the, the God would be incomplete. And like I said, it's not a perfect analogy, but it kind of gives you the idea of so, we're trying to understand something that's a, a very godly concept, a very concept that's very high above anything that we can imagine. But the truth is, all three are necessary for our one God to be. They're the three persons of the Godhead. But you'll see in Scripture many times how the Holy Spirit is equated with God. and Even in this first Scripture here we look at, it says there are a variety of gifts. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. says there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, a variety of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are a variety of effects, but the same God. The words Spirit, Lord, and God in this Scripture are in essence used interchangeably. As Paul, as he was speaking these things, he recognized that the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God are the same thing. We also see here in, in Matthew twenty eight nineteen that he's given equal footing uh, in talking about baptism. In Matthew 28, 19 it says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we see that he's given equal footing in the plan of salvation because all three uh persons of the godhead were important in the plan of salvation like i said earlier the father created the plan of salvation and then he sent the son but the son executed the plan of salvation he pays the price and dies for our sins he is our remediator and the holy spirit implements that plan in our lives the bible says that he testifies with our spirit that we are children of god The Bible says he sanctifies us and he lives inside of us. That's his part to play is implementing and administrating the plan of salvation in our lives. And then another one uh, where Paul is using words interchangeably with God and the Holy Spirit is in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? But in 1 Corinthians 6.19, the same letter to the Corinthians, he says again, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God and that you are not your own. Once again, we see Paul using those same words interchangeably, God and the Holy Spirit. And I got kind of head of an engineer on me. When I look at stuff like this, I don't know if you guys remember in math, there was that simple rule that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. I mean, if you're using the same word over and over, then I think we can, we can agree that they, they mean the same thing. They are the same thing. The Holy Spirit... Is equated with God, but that's not the only evidence. There's a few, uh, few lines of scripture where they're used interchangeably. There's, there's more evidence to show that the Holy Spirit is God Himself. Next, we see that He's eternal. In John fourteen sixteen, it says, "I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever." And then in Hebrews nine fourteen, it says, "How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit," Offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Two things that we notice here is one it says that the Holy Spirit will be with you forever, and next it says he's an eternal spirit. This is another attribute of God that is that is attributed to the Holy Spirit of well. He is eternal like God, he'll be with us forever, because he is God, the same and the same as God. You see, if we look through scripture, the, the only one that's referred to as eternal, if we go through the Old Testament and, and even throughout parts of the New Testament, is God. God is eternal. And in Genesis 21:33, it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. That eternal attribute is is a given to God. And then Revelation 1, 8, it says, uh, and this is this is actually Jesus speaking. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, who is to come, the Almighty. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm there the whole time. I, I am who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This attribute of, of an eternal being is, is only given to God. God is eternal. And we find that very same attribute given to the Holy Spirit. But like I said, we're going to continue to look. There's many more attributes of God that are given to the Holy Spirit. And I think by the end of this sermon, by the end of this message, you'll begin to see the evidence that, that the Holy Spirit is in fact God and not like some other uh, 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 denominations or even religions believe else otherwise. Next, we find that the Holy Spirit will do things that only God has the ability to do. Only God has been given, uh, has the authority to do. And in Job 33, 4, it says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Anybody read Genesis? Who made people? God. But here we have Job say, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Once again, we have the Holy Spirit being attributed to, things that, that God himself did. In Genesis one twenty six it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That was Genesis one twenty six You know, it's actually telling when you read this because it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Anybody ever thought that that wording was strange? I mean, it would be kind of weird for, for you to get up in the morning by yourself and go, hmm, self, let us go eat breakfast. Because there's only one of you. But it's telling because in the beginning, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. This is actually the three persons of the Godhead. One God, three persons, saying, let us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit saying, let us make man in our image. But we know that God created and here we find the spirit of man creating. Next, we have Psalm 104:30 says, You sent forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. This particular scripture is referring to, to animals. It says that uh, you've sent forth your spirit and you created them, you created the animals. And once again, we know that looking at the book of Genesis, it is actually God who created the animals. Genesis 1:1. And he also created the earth. And here talking about you renew the face of the ground. In Genesis 1.1 it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis one twenty four it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. We find that in the beginning God created the animals. God created the earth. But then we find more scripture saying that it was his spirit, the spirit of God, doing these things—more evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing things that only God can do. In Romans fifteen eighteen through nineteen, it says, "For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in obedience to the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ." Here, we find out that even what Christ accomplished in Paul, what Christ accomplished in Paul was done through powers of signs and wonders and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This work that was been done in God, something that changed, that renewal, that, that being made a new person that can only be done by God, we find was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just more evidence that the Holy Spirit does things that only God can do I don't know, we're getting to a point where if it, if it looks like a duck, and it sounds like a duck. But there's more things. What about in 2 Thessalonians 2.13? It says, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Next we find that it's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, who sets us apart and makes us holy, who forgives us our sins. how many know that only God can forgive sins but here we find out it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the sanctification and that sanctification comes by the work done by the Spirit as a result of our faith in the truth and what is that truth when it's talking here faith in the truth that truth is that Jesus Christ came and died for us faith the faith in that causes the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of you. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And He makes you holy and He sets you apart. He cleanses you because of that faith in the truth. But it's the Holy Spirit doing that in you which is supposed to only be able to be done by God. Forgiveness is only done by God. Matter of fact, if you remember in Mark 2, 7 through 11, this is uh, uh, one of the, the, the Jewish men speaking about Jesus. He says, what does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way with themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or the or the, the, to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And this particular scripture is is evidence that Jesus is also God not just a man that walked the earth but God as well but the main thing I wanted to point out is is the Jews were very clear about what the Bible says and that who can forgive sins but God alone but we find that the Holy Spirit does that very thing in us sanctifying us setting us apart once again doing things that only God can do next we find out that he is everywhere he is omnipresent just like God in Psalms 139:7-8, it says, "Where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, You are there." Omnipresence is an attribute that's only held by God. As we look at these, you know, these big fancy words for, for all-knowing and, and all everywhere present and, and uh, all-powerful, omnipresent, om, omniscient, and and uh, what's the other, omnipotent. These are words only ascribed to God. Even the the other forces in this world, like the devil, he's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, and he's not everywhere present. No created being is. The only people that hold these attributes is God. In Jeremiah 23, 24, it says, Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? God is omnipresent. Matthew eighteen twenty, it says, For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. This is Jesus speaking. who is also God saying that I am there with them in more places than one. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they're all everywhere. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. God is with us at all times. He is, matter of fact, I love this scripture. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. He's the one who goes with you. But this attribute of God being omnipresent is once again attributed to the Holy Spirit as more evidence that the Holy Spirit is God. We also find that he knows all. He is all-knowing or omniscient. In 1 Corinthians 2.10 it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. We find out that the Spirit knows all things, even the depths of God, as we looked at the Scripture earlier. And then it says, John 14.26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you in all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Holy Spirit is going to come to us and He's the one that that brings things to remembrance to us. Have you ever been speaking to somebody and you'll have a scripture come to your mind or you'll have something that is for them? that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you because He knows all things and He brings things to remembrance to you. But once again, this, this idea of knowing all is only attributed to God. No created being on this earth and by created being, I mean everything but God, knows all, knows everything. Even the devil doesn't know everything. Even the devil, he can't, he can't read your thoughts. You know, when the devil begins to work on you, it's not because he knows what you're saying in your mind, but he's just good at reading people. He can see what you're thinking by the way you're acting. But the truth is, he can't read your mind. Only God can do that. Only God is all-knowing. And we find here that, that the Holy Spirit carries that very same attribute. In John, Job 37.16, it says, Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect in knowledge? Talking about God being perfect in knowledge. God is all-knowing. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. And Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 8-9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, in all these, as we've looked through these different attributes that I'm trying to show as we look through the Old Testament, even the New Testament, that these attributes are always attributed to God. I'm grabbing out a handful of scriptures to give as evidence that these attributes are given to God, and then also we find that they're attributed to the Holy Spirit as well. The fact of the matter is, is that the Holy Spirit is not a mystical force, he's not some tool used by God, but he is a person. And then also, that person that he is, is God. He is just as, much, just, just as much God as Jesus is, and He is just as much God as God the Father is. They are the three persons of the Godhead. And I hope I've taken some, some confusion out of, of who the Holy Spirit is, but now the next thing I want to look at is, is, what is His purpose here for us? And this one right here, this scripture we're going to look at right now, is probably another one of those that gets really misunderstood. In John sixteen eight through 11 it says, And he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's coming to convict the world. But the first thing we need to recognize when we're looking at this is there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction always has at its heart, always has as its as goal is redemption. When you're being convicted by God, and God will convict you of certain things, He's not doing it to make you feel guilty, to make you feel ashamed, to make you feel unworthy, to make you feel less than anything in this world and, and just groveling on the ground. He's doing it because he knows that if you will turn your back on it, that you will be redeemed, that you will be lifted up. The goal of conviction is always to lift up, to redeem, to restore. But condemnation, like its name, has the goal of condemning. The whole point is to, to, to cause guilt and shame and destruction in your life. When a building is condemned, They generally tear it down. And that's the point of condemnation when the enemy begins to condemn you is he wants you to be torn down. Conviction causes growth, but condemnation causes death. But now that we have that difference, let's actually take a look at what the Scripture says is the job of the Holy Spirit. See, many of us read this and say that, Always coming to convict the world concerning sin, is we have this idea in our head that the Holy Spirit's flying on pointing out everybody's failings, pointing out everybody's shortcomings. that, That that's what it means by He's convicting them of sin. Now I want you to know that in the life of a believer, the Holy Spirit will point out sin in your life and convict you of it. But that's not what it's referring to here. It's talking about the world here. So what does it say then? It says concerning sin. Does it say concerning sin? pointing out all of their flaws and failures and how terrible they are? But it says, no, it says because concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So the goal of the Holy Spirit of this world to, to those that are not believers is to basically let them recognize that they need a Savior. They're convicting them, saying, hey, his conviction is, is that you don't believe in Jesus, that you don't have salvation, that you have a hole. He's, he's there to point out what's missing, not how terrible they are. Which I find interesting because a lot of Christians feel like that they should take up the same mantle and stand out in front of, of strip clubs and abortion clinics and, and heal and hurl obscenities and, and condemn people. When those people don't need condemnation, they need love, they need life. If the Holy Spirit's not pointing out everybody's flaws, why do we think we need to? But what the Holy Spirit is there is to convict the world of because they don't believe in him we need to let people know that there's a god out there that loves them that that if they believe in the son of god that he's the lord and savior that they can be redeemed next we find it says that he, he he convicts them concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you no longer see me concerning righteousness is basically convicting them that the price has been paid jesus paid the price and that you can be righteous and then finally it says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. You know, I'm, I'm really thankful that this gets explained because how many of you know that if it stopped here at verse, the beginning of verse 9, that paints a, a pretty grim picture of what the Holy Spirit I mean, in our heads we begin to think that same way that, oh, he's coming to tell us how bad we are. And then he's coming to tell us that we're being judged. But it's not, not what's being talked about at all. It says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit is here to convict us that the devil's been beaten. That he's been judged. That he's been defeated. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to judge us but to testify that the devil has already been judged. He's been dealt with. Definitely a different idea if you just stopped right here. So now let's look at the the big one, the unforgivable sin, which talks about the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12:31 31-32, it says, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Anybody ever had a brief moment going, I wonder if I if I committed this unforgivable sin? Because this one, this one's nasty. Every other sin can be forgiven. You can do you can murder everybody on the planet and still be forgiven. But this one, there's no forgiveness for it. But I want you to know that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be assured that you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Because This blasphemy against the Spirit, what he's speaking about is basically dying in that state, leaving this world in that state. See, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or speaking against the Holy Spirit is basically calling him a liar. And we found just a moment ago that he comes concerning sin and righteousness basically to convict the world about Jesus, to tell them that that they can be saved. And the problem is, is when we call him a liar and either either say that, no, I don't need to be saved because he's convicting him concerning concerning sin because they need a Savior, and he says, no, I don't need a Savior, you're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. And if you die in that state of calling the Holy Spirit a liar, saying I don't need salvation, you've committed the unforgivable sin. But at any point up to there, even if you've had, because how many of you know that, that I, don't, I think most of us have been in that position at one time where we said, no, thank you, God, I don't need salvation. All of us have at one point in our life called the Holy Spirit a liar when somebody was witnessing the gospel to us and we, we told them to, you know, to go jump in a lake. I think most Christians have gone through that point. But I thank God that We're not in that state anymore. I thank God that I repented of that state of mind and I began to believe the Holy Spirit. The truth is, if you die in that state, you'll go to hell. There's there's no chance after dying to say, oh wait, you were right, I believe you. We have our opportunity in this life to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And at any time we've, we've done that and we're doing that and we, we die in that state, we die forgiven as, 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 and, and saved, then we can, be, we can rest assured that we've not committed the unforgivable sin. Even if at one point in your life you've done that, as long as you've repented and turned back towards God and received salvation, you can be assured that that you've not committed the unforgivable sin, because it's only dying in that state. It's, we have this lifetime to make that decision. But if it's not made in that time, then all is lost. Those who die in that state will go to hell, not receiving the gift of salvation. Next, we find that the Holy Spirit has been sent to be our helper. In John 16, 5-7, it says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I will go, but if I go, I, I will send him to you. You know it's an interesting thing here? because Jesus is still alive at this point. And the Holy Spirit has been sent and operating as God, Jesus at this moment, Even though he's 100% God, he's operating as a man. And as such, he has many of the same limitations that we do as men and women. One of them being you can't be everywhere at once. But the Bible says that when he goes, it's to our advantage because the Holy Spirit comes, who is operating as God, who is everywhere present and all-knowing, and he is our helper. He is there to to guide us, to strengthen us, to bring scriptures to mind. He is there to to bear witness with our spirit that we are saved, to encourage us, to teach us. And John 16, 13 through 15, it says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit is here to to speak to us, to disclose God's will for our life. The Holy Spirit comes to give us revelation. Have you ever been reading your Bible? and you've read something a dozen times but this one time you read it and it stands out to you you see something different that you don't that's the holy spirit revealing things to you in the word of god is he speaking to you the holy spirit was sent to be our helper to be our guide to walk alongside of us to live inside of us and the final scripture that i want to look at today is is Acts 1, 7 through 8. He says, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest part of the earth. Finally, the Holy Spirit is here to give us power. He's here to give us the power to reach this world to give us the things that we need so that we can make a difference, we can make an impact. He's here to bring scriptures to our memory when we're speaking to somebody to say the right things that would make an impact on their lives. We looked at briefly a couple weeks ago the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He, he uses those, He distributes those to us so that we can operate in them for the common good of the body to make an impact for people. He gives us the power to lift one another up and to encourage one another. You know, the Bible says that He gives us the gifts of the Spirit, but He also produces in us the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23 it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How many of you need a few of those things in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience. I know I can use some patience from time to time. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, you can argue, but those those things are really not me. But the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's changing who you are. You have the Spirit of God living in you, and these are a natural result of the Spirit of God living in you. When you got saved, these things will begin to start pouring out of you. I know you can ask my wife. Ask my children if they remember when I was much younger. I'm a much different person than I was. I particularly ask Michelle. Maybe don't ask her. Maybe I don't want you to know. But <laughs> don't ask for details. But she'll tell you that I'm a different person than I used to be. Because the fruits of the Spirit begin to, to operate. You begin to see the Holy Spirit work in my life. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just some. Is, he's not just something we should pass by the wayside. He's not just some tool of God. He's not some some uh, force that God uses, but He's an actual person, and He holds just as much importance and authority as God or Jesus in, in the Godhead, and the plan of salvation. He is just as important as the other two. And I think that we're doing him a disservice, and even more importantly, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we try to brush him off the wayside like he's the, you know, he's the redheaded stepson. Because he's not. And I hope this morning that, uh, that you've had your eyes open a little bit to who he is and what he is in our life and, and the fact that, uh, yeah, he's God. And he's here to work for us and in us to reach this world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand our feet.